Welcome back to Trojan Talk. Welcome back. The new, it's a new feature we have here where every week we talk about a five-star prospect coming back to USC. So this, this is edition two. Out of the portal. Out of the portal. Uh, USC 2019 portal champions. Love the portal. Love the portal. I'm Ryan. He's Adam. We are obviously talking about the big news of the week. Five-star cornerback Chris Steele, we think, finally settling in place. And of all places, it being USC, where he was committed from last summer through October and then was really off everywhere else. <laughs> right. And now he's back. Uh, I called it, by the way. I, <laughs> you were all over it. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Okay. We will talk about it. Uh, before we get into it, though, I don't, I don't even have an answer prepared for this. Which one do you think is wilder? Brew McCoy signing and coming to USC, leaving after two weeks, going to Texas and coming back, or Chris Steele being committed publicly to UCLA, USC, signing with Florida, going through spring practice there, committing to Oregon, and in the event USC? From what I know about each, I would have to say the latter, Chris Steele. It, it's... Just think of how crazy that is that in less than a week's time, Brew McCoy's recruiting story was usurped as the wildest story of 2019. Yeah, and one of the wildest recruiting stories ever. Ever. And uh, on that note, we're going to have a few guests on today. We have Adam Gorney from Rivals to kind of put the big picture perspective on it and, and relate some of the, those other wild recruiting stories and, and where these two fit in. We have a good friend of mine, Nick Delatore from Gator Country, a longtime Florida beat writer, will give us his take on Chris Steele, what he saw uh, of Steele as a player this spring, and also his impressions of, of how things unfolded there. But we will start here with Steele. Uh, just, I, I don't even know where to start. I don't, I'm still wrapping my head around it. Yeah, well, you did a wonderful job this week uh, getting Steele to talk at length, uh, really going you know, full scale, this is what happened, and this is why I am here. And I thought it was a fascinating look, because we don't usually get that type of explanation for something like this. So I do recommend it for anyone that has not already read that piece. Be sure to check out Ryan's story on why Chris Steele transferred. We started reporting this at the beginning of the week, Monday or so, and uh, all signs were pointing to this happening. We were able to confirm it on Wednesday, and I reached out to him and said, you know, just now the dust is settling, do you want to kind of address everything and just kind of kind of get your message out there? Because everyone has their own reaction. And I, I sensed that he was really eager to do that. I mean, he's been sitting here watching everyone react on social media, uh, which obviously is mostly not positive. Uh, the USC fans were obviously excited, but you get the backlash from Oregon, uh, re residual backlash from the Florida fans. I think he was very eager to put this in his in perspective from his vantage point and, and why this unfolded. We can go through the timeline of things. Um, you know, we said all along that his family had always wanted him at USC. During this wild recruitment, uh, that was always their preference, but they let him make his own decision. And he was really enamored with Florida going back to last summer. So he goes there. Uh, as he told me, it was everything I expected football-wise. It, it was it was the the challenge and the opportunity and the, the, uh, the right proving ground that he was looking for in a football perspective. But there was other factors. And this narrative's out there. If you don't know about it, we'll just rehash it really quickly. Essentially, he says that his first week on campus, 
there was an incident of some sort that he didn't specify that prompted him to request a change of roommate. And the coaches, the program told him they, they couldn't do it right away. If it was going to happen, it would be down the road. And later on, uh, his roommate is accused of two sexual assaults, was not charged. That player did leave the program. But Steele and, and their third roommate were both then mentioned in the police report because they had come and gone in, in the time frame of this event. And he was really upset that his name was linked to this and felt that he never should have been in that position because he should have gotten the roommate change he wanted. He, t he told him he wasn't comfortable with the situation. And by being left in it, he's then connected to this, these allegations, not against him, but he's listed there as a, not a witness, but just a, what would you say, a, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, right. I, it's uh, hard to know. A, a relevant person to, yeah. the, to the timeline. Because he's brought up in the report, and he, I believe, was mentioned by the female that, that, that he was there, that he was present. And I think that's probably why he's upset right. that, well, so, that he would even be so, so the mentioned. Police, the police report said that, that he and their other roommate came in and, and, and saw the others together and whatever. Right. When I talked to him on Wednesday, I asked him, I said, everything that was reported about the Florida situation, is that pretty much how you feel? And I didn't know how much he was going to want to talk about it, and, and he, he pretty much addressed it uh, pretty frankly and, and said, yeah. I said, and, and just to be clear, you, you did request a roommate change. He goes, yeah, I requested it the first week after a different incident. So gotcha. this is, I, th I think the, uh, the alleged incident happened in April. And he was on campus in January, so okay, right. th th this is months earlier. So he felt like he could probably see something coming that he didn't feel comfortable with, and then something came. And it comes to fruition, and then he gets kind of uh, tied into it yeah. w without being implicated in any way, just as sure peripheral connection. Right. So that's, that's the reason he's put out there for why he left. He also told me, he said, you know, it was mainly that, but it was also kind of the culture of the program. He saw other guys getting in trouble with the law and didn't feel it was it was the best situation for him. So he goes to – he quickly commits to Oregon. USC doesn't have a scholarship for him at that time. He goes in the portal, uh, and USC does not have a spot for him. Oregon does. He commits to Oregon. He made it very clear that's not why he committed to Oregon, though. He really, really liked that program. He's very close with their cornerbacks coach, Dante Williams. He said there's a couple guys in college football that were more than just recruiters to me that were like uncles and mentors. And he really had this bond with Dante Williams. And and that that was where his mind was. He, he wanted to go to Oregon. That's where he wanted to be. So then what changes to get him to Florida? Well, he says that when he went uh, – for his official visit, they were kind of getting the feeling that his mother's employment situation might change. She might get laid off by the Long Beach School District. It hadn't happened yet, so he goes on his official visit to Oregon, and meanwhile, he's looking at the cost of everything, and it's costing four fifty per plane ticket to get to Eugene, and he's thinking, it's going to be expensive in the fall. My family's been at every game I've ever played. They want to be there for every game. He gets back from that trip, his mom gets official word that she's no longer has her job with the school district, uh, and th that's the way he's framed it. That, that, that's that's the main reason why he's coming back and, and changing from Oregon to not going to USC because there was a major change in their family situation and it was going to be an obstacle for his family to be together this fall.
Right. And it's complicated. I mean, he, he chose you more than I think he even had to, right? We didn't need to know all that, but he chose to, to bring that up. And I realize that some people are going to wonder, well, if you remained at Florida, how likely is it that your family, including your sister, were all going to be able to fly out there regularly and, and be, be a part of the program, even if his mother's situation had remained the same, right? Uh, so it's, it's really hard to know, uh, and, and I don't know if, if it even matters anymore at this point uh, why he's not at Oregon or why he's not at Florida. It's just very interesting that he's at USC because he, he was committed, as you mentioned, for a few months. And then from that point on, he basically went out of his way to not come to USC. And, and it's a story that I've been reporting on pretty close for a long time. And I know that people right now are uh, excited to, to <laughs> see egg on my face. And that's fine. I, I'll wear it. I, I'll own it. I, I was wrong. I mean, he ended up at USC, and I said that he wouldn't come here. Uh, it was impossible for me to predict that he would go to Florida, actually sign there, enroll, play for them in spring practice, and, and have a situation that he did this past spring, which is pretty serious, and then transfer from there, and then commit to Oregon, which I knew was the runner-up back in December. That was a school that I had been told that if he did not end up at Florida, it would be Oregon. They were number two. Uh, I also knew that he'd been silently committed to other programs during his entire recruitment process. And schools that, uh, that would you know, fall into that group would be Alabama, LSU, Oklahoma. So this was not someone that was always in the back of their mind planning on going to USC. Because if, they, if he wanted to, he would have done that. The depth chart is no different now than it was five months ago. The coaching staff is already in place at the time that he was signing with Florida, and even when he initially was entering the portal and leaving Florida. USC was always his best chance to play early. It, it was always the clearest route, as we'll get into later when we talk to Nick. It couldn't be better. Florida. He went to You won't a, find another major right. program in college football that has a clearer path to playing than the USC secondary. Yeah, he he went to a Florida program with two established junior cornerbacks. He committed to Oregon, where they have pretty decent depth in defensive back. They, they might have the best depth in the Pac-12 at cornerback. Yeah. And and meanwhile, this was always the clearest path for him to get on the field as a freshman. And we'll have to wait and see if he gets a waiver for eligibility. But that opportunity is still very much right in front of him. Uh, in talking to Steele, and, and I, I knew this back in the fall when I talked to him the first few times, he's always been very frank and very candid. So when I talked to him Wednesday, I, I knew that I would probably get a pretty insightful glimpse at how this all unfolded. Um, that candidness also came out in the fall, though, when he decommitted. And I asked him the reason. And he, he didn't hold back, and he said that he had questions about how he'd be developed at USC. And, and that that became kind of a a, a major storyline the rest of that recruiting cycle. That the, the face of the class left this class because he didn't think that he would be developed by the coaching staff. 
Right. And I was told back in October that he had been cautioned by players on the team about coming to USC because of the way things were manifesting in that cornerback room. And so I think the natural reaction that USC fans are going to have when they, when you read the story, when you hear his reasoning, that his reasoning for coming here is not football related so much as extenuating circumstances, the natural question is, how do you find the excitement to be here? And that's exactly how I asked it to him. I said, how do you now get excited about being at USC? And he talked about the academic upside, the the, the long-term connections. Uh, and then he talked about Greg Burns. And he said that he had kind of known Burns as a freshman when Burns was at Cal and Cal started recruiting him. But they didn't really ever have a, a, a deep connection. He didn't really know him. They, they just knew of each other, basically. So he still came up to campus Monday for a visit before going through with this decision and and kind of got to know Burns for the first time. And, again, what else are you going to say at this point? You're coming here. But, right. <laughs> but, but he, he did seem really on board with, with Burns' style, what he came away from that conversation with. And... Uh, you know, this is a guy that is looking at everything as as this is the next step for him to get to the NFL. He wants to be uh, pushed in that direction. And he said, leaving Florida, I, I know what I need uh, from a coach. I know what I need uh, in practice. And whatever concerns or doubts he had, he felt were assuaged in talking to Greg Burns Monday and felt this is a guy who I can work with. So, yeah. It, yeah, it's still fascinating to me because – Really, at no point has he said, I'm really excited to be at USC. And I don't think he's going to say that. I think he's actually being pretty genuine here. As indecisive as he's been and maybe as difficult to track and follow, and it's been dramatic and it's probably been nauseating for some, uh, I feel like he's being real about where he's at. And so I actually had a good conversation with someone who is intimately familiar with his recruitment and even the conversations that he's had with, I mean, he he connected with Burns. He talked to Biggie Marshall at length. Uh, I know that he's developing relationships with the recruiting staff here, with GA Chris Hawkins. And these are all things that have pulled him toward USC. But in talking to someone who is uh, aware of all that, they told me they still don't think he actually knows where he wants to be in his heart of hearts. That right now he's going to follow through with coming to USC, but he's still kind of unclear about what he should be doing. And that's what I read even in the interview that you did with him, where it sounded like he's torn and wishes that he could be at Oregon right now. I think that's probably fair to a degree. I, I think it's he may not know where he wants to be, but I think he reached a, reached peace with where he needs to be. And when I talked to him, that's the way I would I would frame it. I I felt like he was at peace with everything. Um, and I, I thought it was refreshing that he didn't just try and paint the rosiest picture. That he did kind of give us a a real and and genuine look into his his mindset through all this. Yeah. I- I still think it's kind of interesting that he's not at Florida. I know that's something that we're going to talk about later on, you know, with Gorney and with Nick. But 
he could have remained at Florida if he wanted to, and he ultimately left. Uh, I know that the, the roommate situation, again, is serious, it's sensitive, uh, and we'll never know everything about it. But uh, with that that player leaving, moving on, uh, he could have remained in that program. And I'm not saying that he should have or needed to. I'm just saying that, you know, he he was there long enough that he felt like he needed to go. And, and then he commits to Oregon. And if people are wondering why he did that, uh, like I mentioned before, they, they were definitely in the running for him initially. But from what I understand, there was some pressure there. When he came, uh, when he entered the portal, and I guess he's put back on the market, he's a free agent, Oregon was right there. And they wanted him to commit. And, you know, they believed that, like, that they were destined to get him because they were so close initially. And I've been told that he felt pressured about that and and he kind of regretted committing that quickly because he committed basically within a week of of transferring from Florida. Yeah. Uh, and like you mentioned, USC did not have a scholarship available. So it's another case, not totally unlike Brew, where... You're, you're doing this in real time. You're doing this for the first time. And on the outside, it might look really bad and it looks immature or attention-seeking. There, there's just so many things that you could label it as. But when you're 18 years old, you don't always know what to do. You don't always know where to spend you know, the next year, much less years of your life. And, and I, he's another... Another case where he signed early. He signed in December. Even though he announced in January, he signed in December, just like McCoy did, and and kind of moved up that, that deadline for himself because he wanted to be in spring ball. And I understand that motivation for any player, uh, especially non-quarterback, when, you know, maybe with a quarterback you might already know if you're going to redshirt and what that situation might be on the field. But if you're a position player and you have a chance to get on the field right away, you want to get in there in spring. And we, we've seen that become a bigger thing and more players are signing in December as well on top of that. I almost wonder if it's a bad thing that, that you can sign that early, uh, that there are two signing days. Uh, you know, maybe you shouldn't be going into to spring ball. I don't know. But here's the deal. like This process doesn't start for them in September of their senior year. Guys of his stature, five-star recruits, are getting recruited as freshmen and very much so as sophomores. So there's plenty of time. You have two to three years to think about this. I don't know that an extra three months means that much if you've done all your visits. Well, okay, let's go back to Jill because even though he was a pretty well-recruited athlete and one of the, on the higher end of the scale when we were looking at the whole picture – he initially committed to UCLA, and it was before a coaching change, as he mentioned to you. But really, it was that was a big deal. He's from here. His family wanted him to be here. He might not have wanted to be here, but UCLA's a good school, and they're offering him a scholarship. And so he gets on board with that. And I think at the moment that he committed, he probably felt like, yeah, I, I'd be happy going to UCLA. I mean, clearly it's not a matter of I'm a diehard USC kid and I hate UCLA and I would never play there. Some kids grow up like that. A lot of these athletes kind of don't. 
I mean, it's more of a fan perspective. I grew up like that. I would have yeah, never gone to UCLA. I, I almost never get that gist from any kid, even when they say that they grew up a USC fan. Right. And they'll also say, I had a great visit to UCLA last weekend. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's very good. And they love the stuff there. And right. So on. Right. So at that time, it was a big deal for him to have that opportunity. And then USC came knocking. And I just remember he was on campus all the time. And he was here more than he was there, even though he was committed there. And he would just show up to all these camps, maybe not participate in them, but he'd hang out, you know, building these friendships on the team, off the team, other targets. And then he was actively recruiting for USC. Then he decommits from UCLA and he commits to USC. And then he gets the national attention. And, and that really did kind of take off in his junior year. And then, you know... I, just a few months later, you are approaching that early signing day. I realized that he had a lot of time to think about it. I'm not trying to defend him so much as understand with him and Brew McCoy that when, you, when, when you're bound to uh, a national letter of intent, I almost feel like it, it's, it's more than it maybe it should be. And I know that there are financial aid agreements that you can sign where you can get out of them. And I just wonder if if that's where the kids need to take it moving forward. And I, I, it's something that we should probably ask Adam Gorney. Yeah, but only the guys of, of that stature would have would have the leverage to do that. Sure. So And both these kids did. Yeah. And I think it's ultimately why they did it. I, I don't think that we're going to see this type of tale from a three-star athlete. Yeah. Going back to, to the final uh, chapter of this recruiting saga, though, you know, this is a guy who clearly had to make a lot of difficult phone calls along the way of this process. Uh, he did say that the hardest moment was having to tell the Oregon staff he wasn't coming. That, that was harder for him than leaving Florida after being there first semester. That was harder than decommitting from USC after being in the face of the recruiting class. So that speaks to the connection he, he felt with that program. Or, or where he's still at now. Sure. And how he feels about everything. But now that he's here, I think the factors that will make him comfortable are that he is so close to so many of these guys on this team already. Sure. Uh, he, he and Jude Wolf were high school teammates, are, and, and Raylan Goforth were all high school teammates and are very close. He was actively recruiting Brew McCoy and Kyle Ford all right. fall to join him. He kind of downplayed McCoy and what impact that had on him coming, but I've been told otherwise that that was actually a pretty big development that McCoy was coming because McCoy, that was already in motion and McCoy was kind of like a week ahead of steel in that regard. I'm sure I'm sure it made it more palatable and, and, and more appealing to him uh, given their relationship. I, they kind of they share something here because right now they're targets on social media and it's, it's unfortunate, but I think uh, they kind of go through it together and uh, can, can help each other through that, I imagine. Yeah, so one of the more interesting quotes from our interview Wednesday was, Steele says, it's easy for people on the outside looking in to say, and I know Bruce kind of going through the same situation as me, so I think it's easy for people to look at my situation and his and just say that we're lost. We don't know what we want. But I think that everything happens for a reason. So I, I think they do feel a real kinship in dealing with this backlash uh, together. And it's uh, Twitter can be a very ugly place. <laughs> yeah, I've learned. And uh, I'll never understand the mindset of, of being so driven uh, to bash 17, 18-year-old kids online. So I, I have a lot of sympathy for what they go through, even even if you know their decisions and uh, indecisiveness are what prompted it. It's, it's still, it's, it's a lot. 
it's a lot that comes with this. Yeah. So this has not been an easy time for either of those guys. Right. I mean, I think a lot of people don't feel like what McCoy gig was maybe justified. Maybe some people do with, with more with steel, but I don't even think it matters. And I'm not just saying this because they ended up at USC. I'm saying it because they're 18 years old. And they're, it, they're, they're going to a school is not like when I decided to go to school, to go to a college and, and begin there. It, it's so much more. It, it's so it's so tied to their future career and, and what they're going to do the, the moment that they step on that field and, and why they're there. They're there to play football. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. Well, you, you fear if you make the wrong decision, you're maybe impacting your the rest of your career, your, your potential right. to the next level. Right. And so there's a lot of stakes to it. It's your not, family. It's, it's not just about, well, this is a good option, this is a good option, this is a good option, so wherever I go, it's going to be fine. In the back of their minds, they're going, well, what if that's a better option? And what if I'm yeah. a- affecting my pro potential? Yeah. And so it's, it's, yeah, I didn't have a depth chart when I was right. <laughs> right, enrolling at USC. That wasn't a thing yeah. for, for me in the Annenberg Journalism Program. Uh, but that, that is a real thing for them. And so they're probably considering all these different factors and, and how it affects not only them, but like I just mentioned, their family. And again, on that note, I think that's why Chris Steele was very eager to talk on Wednesday and, and, and really wanted a chance to explain things from his perspective and and address all that. He, he was very frank about the social media reaction and and what that's been like for him. I, I, I think it was cathartic for him to be able to finally be the one speaking on his own story. Yeah. Well, again, it's a great interview, and if you have not read it, be sure to check it out. There was one quote that especially grabbed my attention when Steele said, I don't think fans realize sometimes they think that players and recruits are like superheroes, but we're human just like everybody else. We all deal with real-life situations. And then he went on to explain what was going on with his family, which is deeply personal and I'm sure very affecting, like it would be for any of us. But I'm looking at it like, I don't know how I would even deal with tens of thousands of people that cared about what I'm doing, where I'm going to school, and where I'm going to play football. I just know nothing like that. But if you can imagine, I mean, over 100,000 people that care about where you're going to go to school and are going to get on you if you don't make the decision that they like. And now he's getting it from multiple fan bases. But again, his mother sadly lost her job within the last couple weeks. It really took several unforeseeable and extenuating circumstances to bring him here. Fortunately, he does end up at a good school with, I think, a really good fan base. Even with me telling him over and over and over that he wouldn't be coming. (laughs) You remember that? Yep. (laughs) I sure do. There's a large contingent at USC that I have noticed has been very supportive, not just now, but even throughout. Even when he decommitted, when he signed with Florida, when he even committed to Oregon, people have wished him well. And that might be partly because he's local, but I I do feel like he ended up in a good spot. And, And maybe he still has to kind of figure that out for himself. But I think he'll be really happy to, to be here. 
you know, and and to be in this situation and uh, and, and end up, you know, at a, at a school that, that I know is is really special, and I think that he'll he'll really enjoy. It's it's a great point you make. I'm, I'm putting it in my own perspective now and thinking back to my college years, and I can't imagine if I decided to take a semester off to do an internship in Birmingham, Alabama, if I had to read uh, four thousand Twitter comments about my decision and whether I'm coming back and my intentions and this and that. Right. So, it, it is. It, we can't. We can't even truly even guess what it's like going through that it's, it's something if, if, you, if you don't experience that you just don't know no i've never been in the fishbowl well another thing that people care very much about is recruiting rankings and uh we'll get in with that to it with Adam gorney about how these cases should be treated in the future in terms of the rivals team rankings um as i understand it nothing's probably going to change at this point the only one that that might have would have been brew um, if they looked at it closer and, and decided to tweak their Brew McCoy rule. But uh, we talked last week on the Brew McCoy podcast about this narrative that emerged in the 2019 cycle that USC was just missing on all the top local talent. Um, just really uncharacteristically just not in play for the top prospects throughout the state. And it's amazing how much two additions kind of flipped that on its head. So just throw some raw numbers at you here. Before the McCoy and Steele news, USC had only landed two of the top 22 California prospects in 2019. Two out of 22. Now, it doesn't change by that much, but now now with those guys in, they have three of the top five. Right. So it's all about how you package and frame it. You know, that's that's the good thing about stats. You can make them say anything you want. (laughs) Yeah. But, But that's relevant. Three of the top five, four of the top nine, eight of the top 36. And it's, again, it's just a change of two guys, but it's a much different. The optics are so much different than they were before all this. And we talked last week, is it going to have a tangible impact on the 2020 class? You know, we don't know. I, I tend to think that uh, recruits are, are very easily influenced by trends and and. The, the, the late, latest uh, happenings and precedents and last fall when everyone was staying away from USC, I think it had an effect on some guys. And now that these two high-profile guys come back in, I think it does change the way some prospects will look at their USC offer. Yeah. I, I think it's all about what happens on the field entirely. Now, they did bring in a couple high-profile kids who I think have a voice among recruiting circles and should they be at USC for the duration of their college career can have influence on players that come but one thing I thought about immediately with McCoy for Mm -hmm. example was that if he's not eligible he might not even play for Graham Harrell in that offense and he might not even play for Clay Hilkin that's that's the state of things where, th- where things are with the program now. It's it's all tenuous. It's all short term. Yeah, there's so, yeah. still a lot to be determined right now at USC. It, it's just th- these two things. I think they're they stand out because they weren't expected. Yeah, I mean, just even a month ago, it, it wasn't like we're thinking. Well, you know, they got Brew. He'll probably transfer. 
and uh, and still he'll end up leaving Florida and you know he'll end up at USC. Those are two guys that can be pillars of the program on the field, and, and it might not be 2019, but they could very much or they should very much matter in the future of this team, and that's something we'll probably talk about later. Well, here's another important facet of this: is that they both represent the top two programs in the area, and and keeping pipelines alive. Obviously, the Mar Day pipeline is is deep. But uh, having McCoy in this class, whereas they didn't have anybody from our day otherwise, 2019 is important. Um, Chris Steele from St. John Bosco. Well, I think I think the pipeline actually came into play already because you had J.K. Daniels and Amon Ra who were recruiting McCoy, and Kyle Ford was in there, and all these kids know each other. I mean, I, I saw course, Kyle Ford yeah. the other day tweet out a photo of him McCoy mm-hmm. wearing USC jerseys and and asking if it was appropriate now to to tweet that out again, and like we already covered with Steele, a lot of friends already on the yeah. team. So that's still alive and well, I think, for this USC football team in terms of the culture and, and players looking uh, you know, after each other and, and wanting to bring each other in. I, I know, and, and we hear it on the board, there's definitely a vocal segment of the fan base that is not ready to let Clay Hilton off the hook for anything and, and it may never come around on him. Or at the very least, it's going to have to be proven in a big way on the field. But let's be honest here. The feeling around this program, at least from my perspective, has changed significantly since the winter. It just seemed like every week there was another hit, another knockdown, another bad look, another negative. And all of a sudden now, it's there's a lot of buzz in spring practice. We're hearing how much the players are taking to Aaron Osmus and the, the strength program. Brew McCoy comes back. Chris Steele comes. Uh, they've made a lot of top five lists for notable recruits in the last week and a half. It's just, it just it feels like that pendulum is really swinging in the right direction again. What it means on the field is yet to be seen. I'm not saying that, that this directly translates, but at least there's some positive energy flowing around the program. Yeah. Final point on Clay Helkin. I think that his temperament and personality and method was a factor for both kids, right? I I do believe that not every coach would have dealt with McCoy and even Steele during his recruitment the way Clay Helton did, and therefore neither of those kids necessarily come back to USC in a different situation. I totally agree. I, I, I think that there are a lot of positives to having the demeanor and regard that people have for Clay Helton. There's also, you know, clearly recognize he had to change some things about his yeah. approach, but it's, it's fair to point out the positives too every now and then. Uh, I never did really close my point on the hypothetical recruiting rankings so we threw this to the to the message board and i uh i didn't feel like doing a high level math so i i uh outsourced it and ks davis one of our posters here crunched the numbers and came up with uh usc would have moved from 19th to 11th if all this was taken into account and florida would lose chris Steele, who was their only five star 
So for whatever that's worth, that's where it would stand. But the guy who has the real pulse of all matters recruiting, Mr. Adam Gorney. Our first guest today, our first special guest, is Rivals West Coast recruiting analyst and our resident guru, Adam Gorney. Adam, how are you? Great. How are you guys doing? Excellent, excellent. This is uh, These last two weeks have been unlike anything I've ever seen in the recruiting realm. You have a lot more experience and, and perspective on this. How, how did the Brew McCoy and Chris Steele sagas kind of strike you and, and, and fit into the context of what you've seen over the years? Yeah, I've been doing this for more than 20 years, and definitely two special cases, probably two of the wildest things I've ever dealt with. Um, and, and, and I keep going back to the yard house in San Antonio because I was sitting with some people and the rumor down there was that Rue McCoy was going to pick USC and that he really wanted to go to Texas and it was uh, a really bad situation and it was really confusing and there were all kinds of stories going around and um, I talked to Horace McCoy and he laughed about it and you know, it looks like USC is pretty good and so he you know, signs you know, you know commits to USC at the All American Bowl, goes to USC, then goes to Texas for a few weeks, and then now is back to USC, which which would have been probably the craziest story um, that I can possibly remember. Uh, you know, Rivals has been in existence for nearly 20 years now, and we put together a rule for Brew McCoy because uh, it was an early signing period. If the Brew McCoy role is now if, if you sign with the first school and then transfer before the second signing period, you count for that second school. Then when he signed, when he, when he flipped back to USC, we have to see if we had to add an amendment to that rule. <laughs> I don't think we're going to. Uh, we're just letting it uh, live its own life here. But uh, that one was crazy enough. And then, you know, the Chris Steele thing was just his entire recruitment um, was a lot of drama. Uh, he commits to UCLA. Not a lot of people thought he was going to end up there. He flips to USC. Uh, it seemed like not a lot of people thought he was going to end up there. So then he goes to Florida. You know, there are all kinds of differing stories on the timeline of how things happened in Florida, which are interesting to see. Um, you know how he you know he got out of there and is now back at USC. So um, it is a huge, huge bonus for USC. Uh, both players. question i'm a little curious why not make the rule that if you transfer before your freshman season you belong to that class the new class um yeah so uh, you're saying like if, uh, if a kid signs in december yeah and even goes through spring yeah uh you know We've had those situations before. Um, you know, Eddie Vanderdose was a situation like that, and, and some others. Um, yeah, Daniel Mutter Baby at USC did that from Florida. Yeah, yeah. We, we 
kind of feel like if you are enrolled in, in, in a semester, you go through an entire semester, and you go, and especially if you go through spring practice, um, that you count toward your previous school. Um, now, now I can certainly understand the argument, well, if you haven't even played a game for that school, why should you count for them? Um, at some point, we needed to cut, we, had, we needed a cutoff. So, so let's say a kid, you know, goes and signs in the early signing period, but, which is December. He then, he then, um, goes through spring practice, then in the summer gets kicked out of school or transfers. Um, who should he count for? The, the new school where he ends up? We feel at some point you need to make a cutoff, and we've made that cutoff the second signing day. So if, if a kid commits on, if a kid signs on the second signing day in February, um, and then the next day transfers, he would still count toward that first class because he would be a legitimate transfer. Now, with the transfer portal, that could become very interesting on how things move forward and how we kind of determine where a kid should count. So let's go Chris Steele. So Chris Steele is going to count for the Florida class because he signed in the early period, or whenever he signed, it didn't matter. He went to spring practice, went through spring practice, had a semester at Florida or at least half of a semester or some sort of a few weeks at Florida, and then left. So, um, you know, that could be a situation where we could look at it in the future and say, you know, the cutoff should probably be July 1st or August 1st uh, when fall camp starts. The, the players who are in, um, in camp would count toward that previous class. Now, all it would really matter for are team rankings, which are now eight months old and people have, you know, really moved on. Um, so <laughs> not everyone. Really... <laughs> I'm sorry? No, I, I joke, not everyone. I mean, I agree with you on the whole, but uh, a lot of our readers are really interested to know where USC would be positioned if both McCoy and Steele were included. And I actually understand that logic because at this point, 2019, their true freshman year, they're going to be playing for USC. And you do kind of wonder, well, what is their recruiting class then? Because they definitely count for USC's 2019 class. Yeah, in terms of their books. Yeah, there is certainly an argument for that. I completely understand that. Yeah. Um, I, I can certainly kind of uh, feel the USC fans, you know, understanding of that. It's just at some point we've decided to, um, we've decided to uh, you know, at some point we need a cutoff. Yeah, I get you. It's all new. It, I mean, we no one right. saw any of this coming. So, right. especially with the transfer portal now being so uh, used so often, um, it's something that probably we should discuss to see, uh, but we like to really kind of shut it down after the second signing period, lock in the results and say, if you transfer tomorrow, yeah. um, you're going to count toward your old class, not your new class, even though you haven't played a game. Well, along the lines of a whole new way of business here in recruiting, do you foresee these cases becoming... Um, Precedents that other players look at, and, and it maybe removes some stigma or makes it easier for them to make similar decisions. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a very interesting moving forward. I, you know, there are always trends that happen. Um, a few years ago, Grace 
is becoming really something that's going to be problematic and change the way coaches recruit. Um, because I'm getting the sense that a lot of coaches are at least reserving a few spots um, in their recruiting classes because they know um, transfer portal kids will yeah. will come about. And, and let's all be realistic here. Um, if there are kids who are in quarterback battles and they lose those jobs, there are schools that are going to reach out to those kids and convince them that they can come there and play. So, yeah. Um, I'm not naming schools, I'm not saying it, I'm just saying it's a reality of, of the world we're living in, um, where even when a kid is at a school, uh, recruiting won't stop, because if you're a star running back, um, and you're not getting the carries that you believe you're going to get, there are going to be schools that will be able to take you, and you can transfer portal immediately to those schools. I mean, there are a number of guys through the transfer portal. You know, the, the transfer portal was really intended for kids with extreme circumstances that needed to get to another school immediately, whether it was a sick grandmother or a mother lost their job or whatever was going on um, that they needed to get home. And now um, it's, it's, it's really just being used as immediate transfers. Um, uh, again, I'm not going to name names on players who have used this opportunity to use it, mm. but... Um, is is let's just let's just throw out this idea for a conversation. Is homesickness a, a legitimate excuse to leave school and be immediately eligible at another school, or is losing your or losing your job or a kid or a quarterback transfers in? Let's let's take the situation at Ohio State. Justin Fields transfers in. Is it a legitimate excuse that Tate Martell can transfer to Miami and be immediately eligible? I don't think that the NCAA intended for the transfer portal to be this way, but there have been so many transfers that have been granted this way, there's absolutely precedent for it to, to continue this way and get even worse. So I think it's going to be a problem that they're going to need to address, whether this is, you know, a lot of people have said it's free agency. It's more than free agency um, because kids can just leave whenever they want to leave. They're not held under any sort of contract. And then they're getting immediate eligibility. So, for, and, and, and in recruiting, it's going to have to be very much factored in. Um, I think a lot like basketball coaches factor in one on one on one and done situations in college basketball, where say, I need to recruit kids every year because there's going to be transfers, and I know there are going to be transfers. And if I don't like the certain crop of offensive linemen. Uh, you're not going to get really a lot of offensive line. If you, if you, uh, but if you don't like the crop of quarterbacks that you've come into, you can always go to the transfer portal and get another uh, get another kid because you know only one quarterback can play, and everybody every quarterback on the roster thinks they should be the starter. Yeah, give me your best guess. Will Brew McCoy or Chris Steele be eligible in 2019? <sighs> That's very hard. I, you know, I. It, it, it's really an interesting thing. I think that Chris Steele will be eligible um, because if his argument is that I was not moved from a room in Florida where alleged sexual assaults were going on, how could the NCA not um, put him, uh, make him immediately eligible? Brew, I think, has a little bit more of a difficult situation. Now, I don't know what argument he's going to make to the NCA, but, you know, and, and honestly, after signing day, 
I'm so busy with 2020, 2021, 2022, and no lie, 2023 kids getting offered. There's a kid in Vegas uh, with eight offers. Alabama, Florida, and Georgia have offered him. So, uh, you know, and he's an eighth grader. He just finished his eighth grade year. So um, you, you have to let these kids go at some point and not follow as closely. But everything that I've basically followed um, is that he was just not happy there and homesick. So... Uh, I don't know if that's enough to, to become immediately eligible. Um, if there are other circumstances or situations, that's going to be interesting. Um, but my guess right now, and it's a complete guess, is that Steele is immediately eligible and Brew uh, will not be immediately eligible. So to t- tie this all together really fast, and then we want to get your scouting report on both guys, but to tie it all together, you and Mike Farrell just put together a list of other zany uh, recruiting tales. Does anything else even enter into the same tier as these two? You know, not really. Um, and, and what we did, we started off and we said, let's do the 10 craziest recruitments and rivals history. And we started going down a list, and we were like, oh my God, we could do like 50 <laughs> sure. um, that are pretty, pretty wild. So we said, Okay, let's do the, the ten previous of the last four years. And so we came up with ten very quickly and very easily, and we actually had to weed some out um, that weren't as crazy. Um, Dalen Hayes is definitely, definitely an interesting one. But the thing that's different, and I think it's transfer portal related, is that uh, all the other ones were kids that were just high school kids that couldn't make it make up their mind or had people pushing them one way and they wanted to go another way and all that kind of stuff was going on and kids make early commitments and um you know i did something uh also on quarterbacks um you know 44 of the last 100 top 100 quarterbacks so if you take the 10 top pro style and the 10 top dual threat quarterbacks of the last five years you'll get 100 quarterbacks um 44 of those guys have transferred. Wow. Eight are, are other circumstances. So um, almost all of them changed positions. So now we're at more than half of the top 100 quarterbacks of the last five years have are not playing where they where they intended to play. Um, so, so you have less than half of a chance to basically be the starting quarterback at your school and thrive at hmm. that school, So, which is amazing. Um, it's just telling. And it's just going to continue to stay that way, I think. Um, there's just no way around it. Kids don't want to wait to start. Kids want to play immediately. Um, those are the things. But in terms of the recruitment, I think Dalen Hayes is very interesting. He went to uh, a bunch of high schools in Michigan. He came out to Southern California, lived with Ricky Town, um, was committed to USC, then left here, went back to Michigan, decommitted from USC, uh, he went to Ann Arbor Skyline High School. Everybody thought he'd end up in Michigan. He ends up in Notre Dame. Um, Jamar Chase was one, I think, the LSU wide receiver who was committed to four schools throughout the recruitment. But all of it sort of ended once they got to college. Yeah. Some of the kids, you know, transferred. Some didn't. But but now it's becoming a thing where you know Chris Steele is at UCLA off that commitment. USC off that commitment goes to Florida. Uh, out of Florida, and then the story doesn't end there. He's out of Florida um, because of you know numerous situations, and uh, is back at USC. Well, no, leaves Florida, then puts out a, a Twitter picture saying he's going to Oregon. Right. Then decides not to do that, and then goes to USC. So 
Um, you know, and this is a kid throughout the recruiting process who really wasn't um, crazy, you know, all about the hype and, and, and all that stuff. Drew McCoy, you know, you know, was was so out of wanted to be out of the spotlight. It was crazy. I mean, he was one of the more level-headed, even-keeled kids, mature, super mature kids. Truly, yeah. Um, his dad, his, yeah, his dad was uh, incredible throughout the recruiting process. So I don't think that these stories are necessarily like guys that still want attention and crave attention. I think it's just a situation where um, they see that they have the opportunity to get out of a situation that they don't want to be in, and it's just completely allowed. So, um, so I think that's kind of where we're standing now. Yeah, and, and, and everyone else has seen this too now, and now goes, okay, well, this is an option for me also if I need it. So, once those... yeah, and, it also, and, and, and what it also does is it sets a really, really, I don't want to say dangerous precedent. I mean, it's, it, it really, I think, makes college football a whole lot more interesting. It's a, it's a problematic situation for coaching staffs that have to deal with this, but, uh, you know, I'm not on a coaching staff, so it's not really my problem. But, I mean, imagine... You know, and I can understand it both ways. I mean, when, when Tate Martell is being recruited to Ohio State, he's being told that when Dwayne Haskins leaves, he's going to have an opportunity to, to, to compete for the starting job. Never in that conversation was it said, unless George's second-best quarterback wants to come here, and we're going to take it, and he's obviously the start. You know, so I don't blame the kids in every situation. I completely understand their situation, too. He knows Justin Fields is not coming to Ohio State to sit behind anybody. Austin Kendall at Oklahoma waited for Baker, you know, for Tyler Murray to leave. Uh, never ever was it communicated to him that Jalen Hurts was going to leave Alabama and come yeah. in and immediately become the third. So you know, I understand the situation that these kids are in. They want to play and they want to compete and they want to play in the NFL. Um, but uh, but it definitely serves. Uh, you know, it, it definitely sets a dangerous kind of precedent if you're just going to let kids and look look down the transfer portal and kids that have transferred and kids will become are becoming immediately eligible um, because you know it's a let's let's look at uh, let's look at USC's situation. So it's a quote unquote open competition. Let's say JT Daniels wins the job. Uh, Jackson can Jackson just leave? and go wherever he wants and become immediately eligible. I mean, that has been the situation um, for, for many other quarterbacks. Um, and, and so it's interesting. What's, what's really interesting is that a place like Clemson has Chase Bryce on uh, as the backup quarterback who could probably start at 90% of Division One programs, and he's just sitting behind Trevor Lawrence waiting, you know, biding his time and being happy being a part of the team. So I think that element is pretty much out of college football. Um, I think you, you know, I think you see it in certain cases. Matt Fink coming back to USC um, is one of the cases. Chase Bryce sitting sitting behind Trevor Lawrence is another one. And knowing DJ Uangalele is coming in, uh, he knows he's not going to be the starting quarterback there. Um, where where there's where the team is bigger than the person, that ideal um, that coaches try to pound into players' heads is certainly out of the game now um, because now it's. I can go anywhere, and I'm now. It's more about where is my best opportunity. Uh, loyalty to a school really matters none. Yeah, it, it, it sure seems like that whole dynamic has changed uh, for good. Let's just 
close with this. We wanted to get your scouting report on both uh, Steele and McCoy. It's, it's been so long since uh, we were kind of projecting them as players. It's that the whole story has been about their, their recruitment and transfers and stuff now. What kind of impact do you see both making in this program, whether it's this yeah. year or in two years or whenever? Yeah, yeah, both were five-star players. Um, you know, uh, let's start with Drew. Um, phenomenal outside wide receiver. Um, I think he's very much like Juju in a way where he's just going to be more physical and he's going to be bigger than a lot of the defensive backs, especially in the Pac-12, um, where he's going to be able to out-muscle people. He has great hands. He doesn't have excellent speed, but he's got good enough speed to stretch the field and, and separate from, from defensive backs. So um, he's going to be a kid that's incredibly valuable in, in USC's offense. Um, if you have a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown, if he's eligible this year, um, they have clearly one of the best receiving cores in the country. Um, you know, if you, if you take Pittman and Vaughns and St. Brown and Jones and, and Brew, um, there should be no Devin Williams. For not getting them. Yeah, and, and Devin Williams, yeah. Getting them all the ball and moving it into the end zone basically whenever you want to. I mean, there, there's absolutely no reason you should be able to do that. Um, he, he's a smart kid. Uh, he's going to be able to easily pick up the playbook. Um, and he's a kid, too, and very much like Juju. Um, if needed, and I think he'll start at wide receiver, but if needed... Um, can easily move to defense and have an impact there as an edge, uh, like an edge outside linebacker. So um, very, very talented player. Huge loss for Texas because, you know, really Texas was grooming him to be the next Will Jordan Humphrey, the next Colin Johnson. He was going to be the guy at Texas that, you know, Ellinger or the next Texas quarterback was going to throw the ball up to and he's going to go get it and be more athletic than everybody and be physical. So I think that's a huge, a huge pickup for, for USC. Steele um, is a very physical, big cornerback. So um, he's more Iman Marshall than, uh, you know, you know many other cornerbacks that just want to finesse you. So he's going to jam you at the line. He's not going to be, you know, the, he's not going to be on the, on the small, speedy receivers uh, because he is a bigger guy, but I'm, on the uh, J.J. Arcega white side of the world, Chris Steele would have a very good advantage against those guys. So, um, you know, I, I think he is a guy um, who could move to safety if needed, but I think he's fluid enough to stay at cornerback. And, again, another very good pickup. He, he was having an excellent spring at Florida, and there were some very good cornerbacks there. Um, he was going to compete for playing time as a freshman at Florida, and they definitely have better defensive backs than USC. So Steele can move into a situation where um, he could be on the field from day one because he has the physical makeup uh, to definitely do it. So I think, um, you know, in one way or another, uh, USC has really gotten these two guys, whether it's this year. And I, I would certainly imagine Clay Helton and his staff are doing everything humanly possible yes. um, to get to get them on the field early um, because everyone knows that with them on the field, Clay Helton has a better chance of keeping his job than them standing on the sidelines redshirting. Exceptional insight and uh, perspective, Adam. Thank you so much for your time. Of course, guys. Anytime. Thank you, Gorney. Okay, our next guest on Trojan Talk is a very special guest. Uh, great friend of mine, an esteemed 
revered, longtime Florida Gators beat writer, Nick Delatore from Gator Country. Nick, welcome. I'm not sure that I'm worthy of the second part of the introduction, but thank you for the first. I do consider you uh, a great friend as well. I I thought I needed to give you a little more reinforcement there on your credentials, just to you know it, make this worthwhile. You know, you know me, as, as big as you can make my head, just keep pumping it in there. Nick has great insights on everything Florida football. Um, aside from his continued unfortunate takes about Moe's being better than Chipotle, he's otherwise pretty sharp in his uh, evaluations and opinions. So we wanted to have him on today to talk about Chris Steele. Um, we've obviously hashed and rehashed all the uh, comings and goings of his recruitment. We want to get your opinion on what you actually saw on the field this spring as he went through spring practice with, with Florida. What was your overall impression of Steele, the five-star cornerback? Uh, so Florida was in an interesting spot because they have two, in, in my mind, um, solid cornerbacks. But one of them, Marco Wilson, tore his ACL uh, in week two last year, so he wasn't a participant in, uh, in spring ball. That really gave Steele early enrolled an opportunity it's it's not like a normal early enrollee where there's two established guys in your position it's hey just learn from them he was thrown right in with the ones and um you guys uh, your listeners probably don't know much about florida but they probably have the most talented and deepest wide receiver group um and tight end group that they've had since you know percy harvin and riley cooper and tip tebow were on campus uh winning national championships so it wasn't like he was going up against uh the, the, the wide receivers of Florida for the past four or five years who uh, one of them's playing defensive back for the Redskins now. Um, so it, it was a good group that he was going against. There were moments, as you could probably suspect, that he looked like someone who was supposed to still be in high school uh, getting ready for prom, but he also held his own, I think. And uh, it, early on, you know, it's kind of keep your head above water and tread water, but I think as the spring went on, he really kind of grew. Um, and got better. I was very impressed with him. He wasn't going to start at Florida because of the aforementioned guys that I talked about, but as everyone knows, you want to get as many defensive backs into that rotation to keep everybody fresh, and Chris Steele was absolutely going to be in Florida's rotation of defensive backs, quarterbacks this year. Hey, Nick. We're, we're obviously familiar with the way that he plays or the way that he played in high school, but I'm curious as to what he looked like. What type of corner was he out on that practice field this spring? Um, Florida, the way that they play, they, they really – probably is a product of the talent they have. They play a lot of press. And, uh, you know, the field side will play press – or, excuse me, the boundary side will play press. The field side will play off. Um, but they kind of just put him in situations where he had to play press. And I think that was kind of by design. Torian Gray is there, and, and he really likes guys like Chris Steele. And he's not the tallest, but he's got good size. He has good arms. And he really wanted Steele to go up and be physical against these guys. So that's what I saw the most from him in the spring is lining up a couple yards off, a yard off of a receiver and really trying to use his hands and work on that kind of technique. And to me, you know, as, as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old kid, more than held his own in, in that aspect. At, at least according to our rivals rankings, he was the only five-star in Florida's uh, 2019 class. Mm-hmm. What, what, what was the anticipation of his arrival, getting a five-star out of California, and then would you say he, he met the hype, at least early on? I know it's, it's hard to gauge off just practices, but did, did it feel like the player everyone was expecting? Yeah, so, I mean, right now it's, it's a weird time in Gainesville. There's more five-star basketball players than football players. Florida doesn't have a single five-star um, recruit on their football roster right now. Um, so Chris would have been the only one. 
uh, and with his departure, they have none now. So, uh, like I said, early on, there was, you know, the times where, and you were down here, Ryan, you know, you know, you send one tweet of one rep, and that becomes the entire narrative right. for an, an entire player. Um, so I send a rep of Tyree Cleveland getting the better of Chris Steele, and then they close practice, and, I, and you know, or Tyree Cleveland, you know, gets locked down by Chris Steele, and that just doesn't get tweeted out. So... Uh, I think the initial impressions were he got beat a couple times. And fans were worried about it. He's supposed to be a five-star, this and that. Um, but to me, man, and I got to watch a lot more sections of practice that are closed in terms of you can't take video. Um, I got I to watch a lot of that. And I honestly thought Chris Steele would be an impact player for Florida this year. And when he transferred, um, I jokingly said, well, he's going to be an all-pack 12. And this is before – the Oregon USC saga. I was like, he'll be all Pac-12 before before it's done. Just assuming he'd go back home, you know, uh, to the West Coast. And uh, from what I've seen, I would absolutely still say that he'll be an all Pac-12 cornerback before you know his career's over. Yeah, I'm kind of going to get into that right now. I was going to ask you to put your scout hat on and how you projected him to go moving forward. Uh, like you said, all Pac-12. Does he look like? Like the potential is high there, where you'd expect him if he just were to kind of meet that expectation, he could be in like a like an NFL type cornerback in college eventually. Yeah, I think I think he has the right attitude um, on the field for sure. Uh, he was competitive. Cornerbacks, you kind of have to have like a closing pitcher mentality, where if you if you do well, remember that. When you don't do well, turn the page, forget about it. You have the next play coming up, and I think he had that never really carried one rep into the next and I think that's what makes a good quarterback you play on an island, you play by yourself um, and, and you have to really think, okay, next play I'm, I'm the best person on this field right now and you have to have that kind of cockiness, that kind of swagger so I think he had that on the field for sure um, and then it just goes down to you know, what does he do and how does he progress, does he go to school and, and you know, just enjoy being there and enjoy the college life or does he go there and say, hey, this is a three to four year stop for me to get as good as I possibly can to prepare and get myself to that next level. Uh, and I didn't see anything um, or talk to anyone that would make me think that he is the former, that he's the one that's going to go there and just be happy to you know, be playing at USC and playing football uh, and, and getting the benefits off the field of you know, being a football player. So I think, yeah, he has that drive and he has that determination and, and certainly the talent's there. So uh, earlier in the show, before we had you on, we kind of went back through his recruitment and um, all the twists and turns. <laughs> we don't know. Probably. Are you sure? Probably. <laughs> but what I wanted to ask you was uh, when he left Florida, obviously there was some pretty raw reaction, and some of it came from uh, other Florida players. Were you surprised at the way uh, Trevon Grimes, and and I don't know if there was more than him, but he was the, the leading one, kind of – responded to that publicly no um I, I joked about it last year i said if they had a team, trayvon grimes to be an all-american trash talker that he would hands down um first ballot first ballot hall of fame trash talker and so when he did uh, i thought yeah absolutely and then i think rick wells was the only other player i mean there were you know retweets and likes and stuff like that um but rick wells is the other one and that was probably just you know tagging along like oh I also have a picture uh, with Chris Steele in it so I'll tweet that too um, but I think the mentality that Dan Mullen's bringing to Florida is, is just hey if you're not with us you're against us um, so I think that's kind of where it came from and also there's more 
I think there was more to the story than it was initially reported, that it wasn't just, you know, just a roommate thing. Um, in, the, in the day that we're living in now in college football where, hey, if you have a good story, you can probably get, uh, you know, a waiver in, in the transfer portal. So that certainly is a story, and, and that's not incorrect. That was absolutely correct, everything that was reported there, but I think there was probably more to it. And Florida can't come out in a position and give their side of the story so I think maybe there was some frustration. Maybe players knew some things and that, that weren't reported or have been reported, and you know, kind of took to social media as as the day and age is, and uh, you know, vented that frustration. That's really interesting. Uh, when I talked to him at length on uh, Thursday, I guess it was Wednesday, um, he said that in addition to the roommate situation and everything that happened there there were some other players getting in trouble with the law and he just felt like it wasn't an environment he could be um, developed in properly. Yeah, yeah, it was a busy couple of weeks there, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> didn't, didn't stay away from the internet or Wi-Fi connection. Uh, around that week, there were decommitments, there were some arrests. Uh, yeah, it was a very interesting week and it, it's hard to say, obviously, this you're talking about a kid and, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but he's 17 years old and across the entire country. And I'm sure your parents have concerns when you go somewhere, especially that far away, but anytime you go to college, I'm entrusting my son to you. And now I'm 3,000 miles away, and I'm entrusting my son to you. I've raised him for this much. I can't be there every moment. I I need you to take care of him. And when you start seeing a sexual assault, and it happens twice, and then there's a a domestic violence case the same week, you start saying, well, what did they tell me? Were they lying to me? Do I need to get my son out of that situation? And certainly, if you've never dealt with that at 17, 18 years old, you start seeing that stuff happening. Like, what did I sign up for? This isn't what happened on my official visit. This isn't what the guys told me about um, when I visited or when I talked to them when I DM with them. So, uh, I think some of that obviously, you know, would factor in as well. So, I want to ask you then, and I know that this might not be the easiest question to answer, but from your vantage point. Why do you think he ultimately left Florida? I think there. I don't think there's one reason, and I think the roommate thing is a reason. I think it's not just the roommate doing something; it's feeling like you're not being heard. And hey, I, I told somebody that I wanted something to happen because of what I was seeing, and they didn't take it seriously enough, or they thought I was lying. Um, and then all of a sudden, it comes out, and that. And you type in Chris Steele's name, I mean, before this stuff, but you type in Chris Steele's name, and it's immediately connected with Jalen Jones and what happens. And Chris didn't do anything. But now if you Google him, he's now his name's attached to these allegations that he had nothing to do with. So I think it's part of that. Um, there might have been some homesickness, and it's, it's different to, you know, go on a, a trip, an official visit, where they roll out the red carpet, then, you know, now you're living there, and, and you're there every day, and it's not just a weekend. So I think there's... A bunch of things. And it wasn't playing time. I don't think it was competition. Um, that's what a lot of Florida fans wanted to say in the beginning. Um, but I don't think that was it at all. I think it was probably just a mixture of things where when he got to Florida, it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. And he, and he wasn't as comfortable as he was when he committed and when he signed. Good stuff. Well, just lastly, um, did Florida fans remain interested to see where he ended up? What was the reaction this week or the last couple of weeks as it – Went to Oregon and flipped to Florida, to USC. Uh, they've been very angry at the media for the way that we've covered uh, the Chris Steele saga. I think um, once he went to Oregon, they were probably crying foul because I mean, it, 
that's that was super quick uh, from the time he committed to Oregon after he left Florida and what was Mario Cristobal doing. Um, I know that you know he had been heavy in Chris Steele's recruitment before that, so I think to me the initial reaction was they wanted to cry foul about you know um, the way that those things were being recruited. But then you know after that there was a, a little lull in between Oregon and USC. They've kind of turned the page and he's not coming back. And there was a lot. There was a a couple of weeks there where people were well, he's in the transfer portal. He might come back to Gainesville. And we were trying to tell him he's not coming back to Gainesville. He might, he might not go to Oregon, but he's not coming back to Gainesville. Yeah. Um, so I think once they realized that he wasn't coming back to Gainesville, they turned the page and moved on from. Well, great stuff, Nick. Th- thanks so much for your time. And when I'm back in Gainesville, Chipotle is on me. Uh, yeah, it, it, you'll be the only one eating it. Thank <laughs> you, All right, thanks, Nick. Thank you, Nick. See you guys. Okay. Great perspective from from our guest. Uh, really appreciate those insights. Let's kind of close here and leave you with with our opinions on both the likely eligibility status of McCoy and Steele and and what impact we think they would make if eligible in nineteen. Okay, eligibility wise, I'm anticipating that Brew McCoy will not be eligible. We we kind of talked about this last week, but. Because the root of his change appears to be homesickness, I don't think the NCAA is going to care much that he originally signed with USC. I know that that's the angle that USC is going to try to play, and I made my point that I think he should just be eligible. I think that even just transferring before your freshman year, you should be eligible. I remember Daniel Matarbebe did this four years ago. And it didn't totally make sense to me that he had to sit out when he just merely went through a spring at Florida. But he was not eligible. And even though he moved to L.A. with his whole family, they didn't care. I don't think McCoy will be eligible. Chris Steele, I'm not as confident as everybody else. I understand why people believe that uh, he should be because he asked for a change and it was, you know, ended up being like a legal matter. And you saw the fallout with the other teammate at Florida. But there's just other things even Nick alluded to that, that we might not know in the story. And I don't know that the NCAA is going to really deeply investigate the, you know, the matter. And I, I'm not confident in them. I'm, I'm usually never. I realize that there have been a bunch of waivers that have been given, and I don't understand a lot of them either. So I think these kids should be able to play this year because they're academically eligible and they just finished high school. But I don't know that either one will. If I had to guess, still more likely, but that one to me is probably just 50-50, where Brew, I feel like, is a long shot. I know you love when we disagree and I, I totally disagree with you here that's fine so this is great I'm sure um, I, I don't see how they can deny Steele uh, you say that there might be more of the story they're not going to find out any more of the story so essentially they would have to be saying we don't think that that's a valid reason and, I, and it's such a sensitive matter the, the way it's been framed and, and portrayed the, the, no matter if you think there's more to it or not or if it's not the full story it's about what's out there and the way it's been framed and I, I don't see how the NCAA can save face and avoid backlash nationally publicly by denying that when they've let so much else that's never through. stopped them before but sure you're right 
No, it's, it's, it's a bad look. It's, it's a it's a fair point that they're an ever unpredictable uh, operation. Well, they, they don't seem to care what anybody thinks. It doesn't always, uh, yeah, operate in line with optics. But as we talked about, there's people are passing through these waivers so much easier than in the past. This is like a classic case. This is some, this is a, a classic reason of why the waiver system would be in place. And I just can't see them saying, we don't believe you, or this is not enough. I, I just can't see them saying that. With McCoy... Well, real quick, with all the commitments that he made, I wonder if that comes back to haunt him a little bit. I don't think they care about commitments, though. I, 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 I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know what they care about. Yeah. Right? I, I really don't. I mean, again, they're unpredictable. I just feel like... I'm not going to tell you that he's a slam dunk, going to be eligible. Would you be shocked if he were deemed ineligible? I would be shocked, yes. You would be, okay. I would be shocked. You'd be shocked in that case. by the NCAA. Yes, yeah. You should never be shocked by them. Well, I, I, you'll, you'll learn if you cover this beat longer. I, I would be. <laughs> With USC, you can never be shocked by the NCAA. With Brew McCoy, I, I think I also disagree with you, but I'm not confident in what's going to happen at all. You, oh, you think that he will be? Well, Cleared? this is the way I'm going to frame it. Okay. I don't understand why he would not be. Because to me, I look at you transfer the sitting on a year's punishment for transferring. He's essentially taking back the transfer. He was going to count against USC regardless. Right. And now he's essentially undone the transfer. To me, that's like a reset. Uh, that's the way I view it. I'm not saying this is how they're going to view it. I, yeah. I, I really, truly have no pulse for, for for that one and what they're going to do. But I don't understand the reason why you would make him. An, I, I can't understand. I, I can't craft a sentence that would hypothetically explain why the answer is no. So if Chris Gill were to transfer to Florida in training camp, you think that he would be eligible? I guess, yeah. I, yeah. Well. You know what I mean? Like, again, I think he should be eligible, but I don't think that going back to the original school will will satisfy them. Um, it, it may not. He get, he still counts versus Texas as well. He counts versus both. I don't know if you realize that part of it. It's a really valuable recruit. It's, it's just weird. Yeah. I, it's weird how they count it. I, yeah. I thought it was weird. Remember, Clay Hilton made the point on Sunday Day that he thought Brew was coming off the books as of the summer. And then see, we see, later found out that... I was never so clear on that because I recall him saying we'd be able to bring in a mid-year guy. And I took that to mean mid-year. So. He, he said by the fall. Like I, I'm saying summer because like training camp is technically in the summer, but he was saying that this fall they'd have another scholarship available to them, that he was only going to count for the signing period, and you know I don't I didn't I didn't know when he didn't like specify on, you know on August first that he would be cleared. He just said by the fall, but that is when players still transfer. Players blue shirt, yeah. and well, it, and if you if you fill up your class, they don't they're not on your books until after the first sure. day of training camp. It, it's it's all moot what he said though because we know, knew for a fact. Yeah, 
later we clarified that he was going to count regardless. He's going to count, right? And and he already counted, and now he's just there. He doesn't count twice for USC, but he does count against Texas. And I don't know why they're penalizing the kid. I, you know, I, I don't know if it's because they're counting versus two schools, and they feel like, well, the fact that Texas lost a scholarship then you have to not play that year because mm-hmm. you belong to them as well. Give them their scholarship back and let this kid play. I, right. I'm not saying justified what they do. No, for sure. I, I don't sure. get it at all. But I, I wish I was more confident that one or both of them would be eligible. I'm not. Uh, but hypothetically, yes. if they are eligible, yes. What do you think about them? How do you think they fit in on this team in 2019? I thought Steele was the most important player in their class back in the fall when he was still a part of it. Because I, I thought he would be a leading candidate to claim a starting job. Um, I was impressed with him when I saw him in person. Obviously, he has the pedigree and the, and the, and the recruiting stature. And it's such a wide-open spot. I <clears throat> It's, it's nothing's changed in that regard. I think he comes in and is right at the top of that competition. And if it's not an outright starter, he's going to have a role and be a player. And I, they pretty much pitched that to him when they got him to come back on board. They told him that we need you. We we need a, a mature young guy to come in. You've already been through spring practice. We have no experience here. So that's the way I'm sure he's viewing this this opportunity. And and one of the the positives of how it all ended up, even if it was not by his initial intent, that's one thing he can point to and go, well, at least I have a chance to get on the field right away. I understand why you would feel that way. I can't be as absolute about it. And it's not because I doubt him. It's more... I've covered college football for a long time. And you have as well. And I know of a lot of big-time prospects who are legitimately good where they were. And he played at a big program, played at a high level. You don't know how they're going to fare here. Of and, course not. And yeah. we needed to watch him at Florida, mm-hmm. although the reviews are pretty good. Yeah. I haven't seen any of the other kids that are coming in. They're bringing in a lot. And, and Max Williams is really a, a, a part of that group, even though he did come mm-hmm. in spring, but he wasn't healthy. Yeah. So you got four other freshmen, and I realized that they weren't as highly touted. And a couple of them are moving from you know from out of state, but let's get him get on the field. I guess that's the point I'm making, though, is that I think he has as good of a chance as anybody. He oh yeah, a- and he comes in with more fanfare and stature. So if I had to guess, yeah. I, I would lean toward the guy that was expected to be an immediate impact player versus the guys who were ranked below him. Sure. I mean, that's I mean, all I'm saying. No, we have questions about basically every corner on the roster. Yeah. I, the conversation I had with Clancy Pendergast a couple weeks ago, he told me that Elijah Griffin is probably the most talented corner on his team. Mm-hmm. Elijah Griffin has barely played. Right. And and I agree with him. <laughs> That's what I think. And yet we don't even know that. We just think that at this point. So Chris Steele could end up being the best corner on this team in 2019. I, I realize that. I just don't know right now sure, I, how that whole – I mean, when you have like nine or ten guys there, mm-hmm. I really don't know how that's all going to play out. Would I be surprised if he doesn't 
have a major role? No. I mean, again, it's, yeah. it, it is wide open. He's not going to redshirt if, if he's eligible. No, he's not going to redshirt. But I, I'm just saying, if you're asking me to guess, my, I would lean towards him being one of the guys that emerges in those spots. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I understand why you think that, because when I did the depth chart, I wasn't confident in any of it. I, I had Elijah Griffin first string, even though he missed spring. I had Greg Johnson on the other outside spot, and I felt like right now he's probably the furthest ahead, but I feel like he can be caught. And then in the nickel, I, you have Chase Williams, who we both like, yeah. but they're ready to move him to safety if need be. Right. Here's what I would not be surprised at all to see. You don't have two entrenched corners. You, yeah. They, they, they rotate those guys through right. because they're not going to know until they see them in action what they really have. Mm-hmm. I mean, even fall camp is not going to truly reveal how ready those guys are for Saturdays. Yeah. So maybe you play four or five corners the first couple of games and, yeah. and then you get a sense for it. Yeah. I mean, because happened a few years back, uh, 2014, you had true freshman Dory Jackson. You had redshirt freshman Chris Hawkins. And you had true freshman Jonathan Lockett. And, you know, there was changes on that depth chart and injury. And they were all playing. And, I mean, there was a lot of struggles there. Adori was actually fabulous. and But he didn't even start, I believe, until game five, as good as he was. With, with here, I feel like you can probably see a true freshman start even earlier because no one's really proven. I mean, who's proven? Yeah. It's pretty interesting. But uh, I feel like he's a big addition for the overall health of the position, but it still has yet to be determined if he just comes in. And I think some people feel like he's going to come in and, and be their, their top guy and, and, and lock it down right away. Well, I'll say this. That would have totally been the majority opinion if he had come in the class initially. Yeah. Because that, that that's why his departure was such a big loss, because they didn't have that obvious guy to say, okay, th- this is the guy that's going to step in and fill this void. And he would have been viewed in that light. And really, nothing's changed in, in terms of that opportunity for him. Yeah, I mean, they none of their freshmen were available in spring. Yeah. And, I mean, we, we saw Britton Allen there mm-hmm. for a little while, and I could tell that that's someone that they want to get get his feet wet, but ultimately they're not going to play in that corner. Yeah. But they were just so needy there that they did that, even though they're needy except you as well. And then with McCoy, we kind of got into it last week on the last podcast. I, I don't know how much any freshman is going to get used this year, but the more I've thought about it this last week. And You're coming around? I'm coming around to your point. I, I could totally see Brew McCoy being a case where he's too good to keep off the field and that there's there's value there that they just feel they have to tap into. And whether that's 15 catches, 20 catches, I, I do see him forcing his way into the, the rotation. You know, we still don't know, though, how they're going to use the receivers. Right. It's, we don't know how they're going to rotate them. Yeah. Because every coach is different with that. Yeah. And even with Key Martin, he was different about it last year than he was years prior. Yeah. So it's, it is it is really, we're just, we're, we're guessing here in, in a lot of ways. But. Well, okay, there's been some conversation or there's a narrative out there that with Valus coming back and, and then Brew McCoy in the mix and let's say he's eligible, right? Now they'll go five wide. 
Are you buying that? I think you could see it at times. I don't think it would be a, a, a fixture. Right. Yeah, I, I don't see it. Again, there's, there might be a package and you're going to do it. Uh, there might be particular well, scenarios. C- considering how much of a big deal Clay Helton made about Graham Harrell involving the running game and, yeah. and the running backs and everything else, I, I, I don't see them going that, to that extreme. That's no, neither do I. I that's what I'm saying. Like, there might be a player cue, uh, a situation that might call for it, obviously like a Hail Mary, but... I don't think that that's what they're going to do. I don't think that's who they're going to be. Michael Pittman told me that four wide included Josh Follow, the tight end. And I realized that they didn't have a lot of depth in terms of bodies in the spring, but they had four healthy receivers every day, and they had five. And they never did that. They just weren't doing that. Also recall, though, that Pittman told us in the spring that the offense was limited because of the the. DB situation. Yeah. And there were just things that it, wasn't, it wasn't even worth doing in the spring because you weren't going to learn anything from it. I mean, they, yeah, they might have all the, all the people to defend that many receivers. That's a good point. I'm glad you, you brought that up. I just, I'm a little skeptical um, because we didn't see four wide receivers on any kind of regular basis. Although I, I do realize now they have the personnel, they're going to have that influx of freshmen, not just McCoy, but the others. I don't know that that's what they want to be. Not not to uh, add a fresh tangent here to this podcast, but it just came to mind. I really think the most overlooked guy in this class is Drake London. I, he, he is a phenomenal athlete, and I, just he's just not getting talked about at all. And I understand why, because the yeah. receiving core is so deep. Yeah. Brew McCoy is now the headliner of the incoming guys, but... I, I'm really excited to see Drake London too. I mean, this is a this is a super deep receiving core. I, I've never covered the team with, with or recall watching one with, with this many options there. Yeah. Well, you might remember that when Harold got the job, which obviously was post McCoy, I did a piece on the ten players that I felt like would be impacted most did. by him coming, and I had Drake London in there. Yeah. Now, because it looks like Kyle Ford has a much better chance of getting Kyle on the Ford, field. Kyle Ford. mentioned Kyle Ford. Right. With Ford getting, yeah. maybe getting back on the field and McCoy potentially being eligible, then it, it might push London down. But I'm really high on, on London in terms of long yeah. term. Well, this is a great segue, Adam. A great natural setup. You just teed it right up for me to tease once more our upcoming USC Next Up series. Again, this is something that we kind of rolled out a little bit in the spring. We did four initial features on some of the early enrollees. But I've been on the road for the last five weeks now, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, I've hardly ever been home here in L.A. uh, visiting with all the, the incoming 2019 guys. And we've gotten to almost everyone in the class. And there's some really interesting stories that come out of that. Um... I visited with Drake London last Thursday and Munir McLean. Uh, this Thursday, I was with Keenan Christian in San Diego. And uh, we'll start dropping those as soon as these guys get on campus and the reporting uh, part is over. We'll just start dropping two or three a week. And I think you'll really enjoy it. And you'll you'll learn a lot more about these guys than what you know now. You know, most fans just know the recruiting profile, the recruiting ranking, the 
the tangibles and we get really deep into all these guys stories and, and what makes them tick and how they got to this point and i'll just note that that series is going to be you know for subscribers so if you're not subscribed to our site yet now's a great time to join in because you're going to want to be able to read all those stories and, and learn about these guys who are going to impact the program in 2019 and beyond yeah, and so, our community's bigger. We've had a lot of people. We've had a wave of it's new been a, additions. It's, it's been a great month for USC. It's been a great month for Trojansports.com. Happy to have you. And uh, the more the merrier. So look for that coming up very soon. And we'll find more stuff to talk about on the podcast here very soon also. Because Always. I think we're, we're in the groove right now. Yeah? Yeah, this was a, this was a fun one. Sure. We'll, <laughs> we'll see who transfers in next week. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Later.